This is my leak and this is my podcast. Welcome back. I guess you can say this is the official end of my podcast warm up and we are back in business. Welcome. How has this whole warm up been for you? Please don't hesitate to write me via social or reply to any of the emails I send out. They come, your responses come right to me. So please feel free. I've gotten many messages that the past few months didn't feel like a warm up, but I can ensure you that it was definitely a warm up. It's been a long time since I have committed to recording podcasts, and I knew that so much had changed since I began back in 2011. There's so much technology that makes recording and sharing much easier. And this warm up allowed me to spend a good amount of time learning that technology. So, technology is easier, but you still have to learn how to use it. And so, there was a lot for me to learn. And I also wanted to warm up because, as a former athlete, if you will, I ran track back in the day. You would never get on the track to do anything without warming up. And so, <clears throat> for anybody who is considering doing anything and feeling like you just have to start cold and that you can't get any time to warm up, be it in a new position. Um, He's just starting on YouTube. You're, you're getting on social. You can warm up and whether you announce that or not, maybe you choose to, maybe you don't, you have time, you can do that. And so I wanted to warm up and try to find my zone. I don't get nervous making these podcasts, but I still get nervous about some of the things and how they might land. You know, I can go back. I can think about some episodes I recorded uh, several years ago. There's one in particular that I really need to find that I think about the way that I answered a question and was like, oh my gosh, that's just wrong. And I think about, you know, us giving ourselves room to grow in real time, I think, That is what happens when we document um, our thoughts in this way. So uh, I I don't want that to happen, but I know that that will happen. And so I get nervous, like, oh my God, did I say something that I'm going to regret in five years or three years or shoot 10 minutes? Who knows? But I just have decided that I'm just going to say it as plain as it is coming up for me with kindness and consideration, because I really still try to do that. Um, You will notice I still stutter through some things. And if I were trying to be more perfect, or if this was one of those ultra edited shows, I'd go back and fix those things. And I've thought about it. And I just want to release these conversations, these connections as is, you know, I am human. And I appreciate every single one of you giving me the room to to be just that in this space. Now let's talk about recording as a new parent of two small children. That requires a bit more scheduling than I had to do in the past. And so trying to figure out my rhythm and find my pace, when can I do things, when can I not? Um, I am currently recording this on the weekend. So um, finding time on the weekend during nap time. Okay. So I didn't have to worry about that before. And now I do. So wanted to find my pace there. Some of you who are longtime listeners may have noticed I am no longer on Podomatic. I am now on a different host. Who the host is doesn't matter because I could change it again, or maybe some incredible network comes and offers to take on this show. Now, wouldn't that be nice? Maybe. Or maybe not, not sure. But 
you likely have noticed some ads in the past few weeks. And as I continue to learn what works for us, you'll see changes and edits here and there. And so uh, just wanted to share that with you. Now, I also had to learn how to use my new podcast equipment. I talked about that before. This is some podcast equipment that I bought a few years ago when I was planning to return in 2021. And I was going to have these shows professionally edited in a studio because I felt like what I was doing in the past wasn't good enough. You know, I need to upgrade. And so they told me what I could use to record at home because I knew I still couldn't get out to a studio. They told me what I could buy to to get studio quality at home. And then I was supposed to send this audio to them and they were going to edit it and we were going to have music. And I think I told y'all before, you know, I really, in my mind, I want to have one of those, one of those swooped up podcasts with all the things, but I find that learning how to use all this stuff myself, this um, new equipment I have, it's got all the buttons and knobs and, and, and every time I talk, things light up, but you know what? I figured out how to use it and I've played some of this audio back and I can't lie, your girl is sounding good. Now, enough of that. Let's get on with this episode. Now, I want to set the mood for this episode. Imagine you and I have met at a coffee shop. We have plans for a long catch up. I feel like it's an evening. I feel like we're having an evening, like a late coffee. So if that's the case, I'm having decaf and maybe you are too. I still drink my coffee black. Maybe you have tea. Maybe you have water. For those, some of y'all like matcha, which I still can't get with. But I know that we have some light nibbles. I feel like it's raining. And you've seen me in passing. You've you've caught me on social a little bit, but we haven't really had a good catch up. So this episode is our good catch up. And I feel like doing this good catch up will help sort of inform you around the topics that I will be talking about over the course of this next season. I'm calling it a season, but I'm just going to do what we feel like doing per usual. But some of the things that I'm going to talk about and where I am as a person, a lot has happened to me since I've recorded this podcast. And I just think having some context will help you color my, you know, color in your notepad um, and, and better understand my point of view. So let's get started. I recorded two episodes in 2021. And I really believed at the time that I would be able to make an official comeback. My youngest child had just turned one and I felt ready. It was in September. She turned one in August. In my mind, I just needed her to turn one and I'd be able to magically work again like I had in the past. I tried. I did two interviews And as I tried to keep going, my bright idea quickly proved to be untrue. I was not ready. I was still running a business. Now, granted, my daughter had turned one, but I also had a three and a half year old too. Having those two kids wiped me out. There was so much learning for me to do when it came to having them. I wanted to parent them a bit differently than what I had known. And so I was doing a lot of reading, talking to a lot of different parents. Um, There was a lot of research involved, trying to figure out what type of schools I wanted to send them to. Let's not forget about the self-rescue swim lessons and a whole bunch of other stuff that just felt so far outside of my wheelhouse and comfort zone. 
Now let's not forget about the amount of meals little humans need. So in addition to five meals, so three hearty ones and two snacks per day, I also have to play with them. (laughs) I'm like, what am I playing and how do I play? Uh, From there, I want to add on tantrums, big feelings, massive meltdowns, and a commitment that I had made to never hit, snatch, grab, or pop my children. (laughs) So it was like, so what am I doing? Um, And along this, this early journey, there was this grief that came up when I started to realize that there were some things that I needed but did not get. I had read Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents is worth a read, regardless of whether you're a parent or not, if any of this resonates with you. I had read it a while ago, but I had to go back to it again during this time. My son is just over three and behaving in a way that I had learned culturally was was considered to be, quote unquote, bad. I knew in my heart that he wasn't bad and I made it my business to do the work, to find the tools to support him. Now let's get back to the book. What I started to realize in this early journey of parenting a toddler with big feelings was that while my basic needs were met, food, shelter, safety, those types of things, I can't say that my emotional needs were. The way I noticed this was how difficult it was to deal with the strong emotions of my own child. And according to the book, that's one of the signs that you might've had an emotionally immature parent. You know, they say some people who are emotionally immature are perfectly fine expressing their own emotions. Um, And there are some people who shut down their emotions completely. However, one of the signs is that when faced with a child's disappointment, that sadness, that anger, that parent cannot handle it. And that parent is so preoccupied with their own feelings, their own situation that they, that they have a hard time dealing with their child. And when the child is actively approaching them for emotional comfort, they either pull away or they're angry with their child for having feelings. I was there. So this isn't, this is just, I felt that myself in those early days and having had emotionally immature parents, I had some serious work to do and I'm grateful for the awareness and the resources and access to professionals during this time. And so there is another book that I really enjoy called Running on Empty, um, Overcoming Your Childhood Emotional Neglect by uh, Janice Webb, PhD, and a quote that I have written down that says, Do unto your child as you wish your parents had done unto you. That was my work. That is my work. And I could spend 15 episodes talking about this personal work that I am committed to for the sake of being a better parent to my children. But the coffee shop is closing in a few hours and I've got so much more to tell you. So since having my first child almost six years ago, can you believe it's been that long? I have been grappling with my identity. Having two children back to back while running a business with too much going on was difficult. As my life took on these new shapes, adapting to this new life seemed like it was never going to happen. I kept wondering, 
when am I going to like the person it feels like I've become? As someone with a pretty strong sense of self, having your identity completely hijacked by motherhood felt jarring and diluted some of the other identities I felt so strongly about, like entrepreneur, I am avid reader, partner, friend, faux chef, and sommelier. Not real sommelier, also faux sommelier. (laughs) There were periods of time over the last few years that I resisted motherhood. And when I look back, I can pinpoint most of my hardest moments as times I was resisting it. I wanted to be a mother and be the person I was before. I wanted to be a mother and have the desire to to work the way I used to. I wanted to be a mother, but not look like one. I wanted to be a mother, but not act like one. And then one day it hit me. What would my life look like if I could stop sporadically resisting motherhood? I want to share something that was beautiful and helped me. It's a snippet of a beautifully written piece by, I believe the way you say it is Stacia Brown. It was written in 2013 and it's called Resisting Motherhood. And she says, I am still me underneath, but motherhood cannot be peeled away. It wraps around, becomes a top line dermis and over time, We are meant to forget its artifice. At times, the urge to lift it away from the skin begins to pressurize. There is too little air. There are too few opportunities for new breath. Here's the truth that helps, that slices through this whale skin and lets in a slip of light. Children are not so life-changing. They are like many other things and persons adults acquire and decide they cannot live well without. Their needs are not so different. Tenderness and tending. They are complicated bliss. They are blessing and barnacle. And somewhere along this journey, I began to accept my complicated bliss. I have leaned into it. And sometimes that looks like having the appearance of being flaky because One kid went from the flu to the stomach bug to lice. Yes, lice in a week. Some weeks have no days off from this. And sometimes that looks like being a person that has to put a butt where the period used to go. I can do it, but I need to leave by X time to pick up the kids. Yes, I'll be there, but I have to leave a day early for the pre-K graduation. I'm so grateful you considered me for this opportunity, but I won't be able to make it this time. It's my kid's spring break. And so while I'm in a better place, I can't say that I don't still grapple with the desire to do both jobs well. My job as an entrepreneur and my job as a parent, I want to do them both well. Speaking of jobs. I have also spent a good amount of time grappling with the professional portion of my identity. So much of who I was was built on this pyramid of what I had accomplished professionally. And let's be real, so had my bills. The more time I spent with my children and in the trenches of motherhood, the less and less interest I had in the not so fun parts of what it means to run a company, which is just about everything, if I'm being honest. Scaling my company 
up to the place that it was, which is small when you consider big business, but massive when you consider small business was insane. I wish I had a better word for it, but I don't. It just felt insane. My second pregnancy with my daughter woke me up in a way that I struggle to find words for. I knew that if I was going to have two kids within the window that I was having them, I needed to think about two daycare bills, two car seats, two extra seats on a plane, two cars when they turn 16 or 18, two college tuitions, two cell phones, two everything, two tablets. You know what it is when it comes to these kids. And that forced me to pay even closer attention to my business. Up to this point, everything was humming along beautifully, but I wasn't really tuned into the true comings and goings, that nitty gritty, the granular stuff. And having two kids and, and a lifetime of supporting them both, I knew I needed a clearer picture. Long story long, there was a lot going on that I just didn't know about. And it all began to feel like too much as I started to peek into, you know, every single thing. There were too many line items, too many emails, too many due dates, too many people, too many personalities. And as the pandemic settled in and the work got harder, it became clearer by the day that I could not manage all of this with two new humans at home and a new relationship with my partner that went from romantic to co-parents and us both being deeply invested in the ways we wanted our new family to take shape. Our home had become a mini operations operation with drop-offs and pickups, doctor's appointments and dentist appointments and playdates, birthday parties, and memories to be made. I gradually found myself shifting from managing a business to managing a new family that needed a ton of care and even more planning and organization. There was something about having the kids that allowed me to see the kid and everyone. It started to paint a picture of why I chose certain people for certain roles and how often I hired to save someone or to give someone a chance rather than truly hiring for my needs and my goals. Because I couldn't see all of this so clearly early on, I hired an executive coaching team. Maybe that's my problem. Maybe I just didn't know how to do the people part of the job. And after a year of coaching, I can tell you that that probably was true. Now, I can tell you that after working with the coaches, learning things I wish I had known a decade ago and spending what felt like a mini fortune to come to this realization, I learned that it is very difficult, damn near impossible to level up a company's culture on a weak foundation. And so because of that, the job, got exponentially harder and I became less and less interested in trying to figure out how to make it work. I have two quotes here to consider from Martha Beck. Talked about her book, The Way of Integrity, Finding the Path to Your True Self. Still think you need to read it. Go ahead and get that. But these two quotes I had written down um, just when I think about the way I felt at the time. And one says, There are infinite ways to make a living. At some level, a deep instinctive level, you know which of them will work for you. You can feel it immediately when a job requires you to push aside your true desires. And then there's a second one that I have that says, your true true self is showing you that. 
It's trying to get your attention to help you question, doubt, and drop the beliefs that are trapping you in hell. If you can feel that, congratulations. Your trip through the inferno isn't over yet, but you've rejoined the way of integrity. And so right when this truth settles into my heart and I decide that it is now time for me to transition out of my business, I learn that my mother is dying. And so now I've got to switch gears. Over the course of nine months, and I didn't even track the time until I got ready to start preparing notes for this podcast. I had never considered the time, but from diagnosis to death, nine months, and my whole world felt like it turned upside down. My mother called to tell me the news while I bathed one night. It was the time that she would always call. She always knew that I had to put the kids down or, you know, there's always some kind of wrestling with the kids at night. And so she would, I, she would always wait later to call me. And I was expecting her to call me because I knew that she had gone to the ER and then they had run some tests and then she was supposed to follow up in an appointment. And she said she would call me that night to let me know how the appointment went. But while I was waiting I got a call from the hospital just wanting to confirm that she had made it to the appointment. And I'm like, how do they get my number? You know, but it was something about that sort of like matter of fact call that they made, you know, almost like they had to check their box, cover their butts. That was like, oh, this is not, this is not going to be good. And so I, I waited around and I just, I mean, I ran probably the hottest bath uh, I've ever sank in in my life. And no sooner than I finished running the water, my mom called and it was just me and her quiet bathroom, quiet call. And I will share a snippet from my journal entry that day because I began to really try my best to write down what I was going through and what I was feeling during this time, because I just had a feeling that I wouldn't remember and things would get blurry because just going into this started to feel like the twilight zone, like blackout mode for real. So journal entry from that day reads, the last few weeks have been slightly numbing. My mother was complaining about not being able to keep food down, acid reflux, I think I have GERD is what she said. But when she said it, I just, I knew she didn't. I didn't know what she had, but it felt like when she was telling me she was trying to convince me to to go in a safer direction mentally. And uh, I was concerned, you know, because we had been talking, it's the end of the summer and she just wasn't in great spirits, but was not feeling great. And so she had told me that, you know, as we were talking, her doctor had made an appointment for an endoscopy, but they couldn't see her until October. And then they couldn't see her until September 16th when she tried to get the appointment moved up. And so she finally just decided to pack a bag and go to the ER, which I had like begged her to do. And, you know, as she's in the hospital from that ER trip, we're going back and forth, we're texting, we're FaceTiming. And we're talking about the CAT scans and biopsies and whatever else. And then I have this evening she called. And in quotes, I have what she said. I talked to the doctor. It's not good. There's a mass 
it is cancer. Just like that. Flap. She says she isn't going to let this take her out. She says something about chemo and radiation, but doesn't know what day she even starts. She says she's having a glass of wine. I'm numb. I knew this day would eventually come, and now this day is here. And so now I try my best each day to make a plan and follow it. What I learned pretty quickly is that it's difficult AF to manage a plan when death is looming. Because it is my nature, I spent so much time trying to understand what is happening. What is going to happen? What will this feel like? I went between being absolutely terrified some days and like a soldier for my mother on other days. And I will say that on the days that I, you know, it's really important for me to share how afraid I was because I think, you know, this is not new. I am not the first person to have this experience and I certainly won't be the last. And from the the DMs that I get um, on Instagram, just like almost at least weekly people letting me know that they are in the space of anticipatory grief or that they are experiencing some of the things that I experienced, like the amount of fear that I had. And I just, I mean, it was suffocating at times. And then, you know, on some days I would just not be afraid. Like, all right, I got to do this. I'm flying out. I'm going to see my mom, going to the hospital, talking to the doctor, doing what I got to do. And so I'll share some of the resources that got me through this time. Maybe you'll need them one day. But first and foremost, my therapist. And it wasn't because she said anything in particular Actually, it was because I even write that in this in this episode. But I think it was just her presence. She was there. And I'll never forget the urge I had to email her when I got this news. You know, I have only ever messaged her in moments that I felt were urgent. And when I look back over the time, over a decade, she and I have been together. There was only one other time that I have re- She hopped on. She wrote me back. and we talked it through and she says, you know where to find me. And I'll never forget that because at a time where I felt like someone had just pushed me out of an airplane with no parachute, I felt like she just, you know where to find me. It was just like a parachute for me to tuck in my back pocket. Like, should you need me to help you through this? Um, I got you. And it was also helpful because we had this long relationship where I had shared dang near everything about my mom over the decade with her. And so having someone that I could talk to that really knew the relationship was helpful. Another resource was Dr. BJ Miller. He became the death doctor for me. He's got TED Talks, interviews with Oprah, New York Times. He's been on a million podcasts and he's got a wonderful book titled 
A Beginner's Guide to the End, Practical Advice for Living Life and Facing Death. And Dr. Miller's work helped me make sense of something we will all experience, but not take very much time to learn about or prepare for. And so I feel like the moment you make a will or a trust or get a life insurance policy, you need to make sure you read this book front to back. Do it before then. But this is a companion to making sure you understand what it means to die because most people don't die suddenly. I think in his book, he says that 80% of deaths happen the way that I experienced with my mom. Most people will know, most of us will know when our day is coming. You know, we may not know the exact date. Sometimes we'll know months ahead, other times years, sometimes days, but most of us will have an idea of when we're going to die or when someone in our life is going to die. Another resource was Anderson Cooper, Mr. CNN. Anderson does some of the most beautiful and thorough grief work out there. He's got a podcast called All There Is, and he even wrote a book with his mother, Gloria Vanderbilt, several years ago called The Rainbow Comes and Goes that I read. And I have a little quote from Anderson. He says, loss and grief are among the most universal of human experiences, and yet we don't talk about them nearly enough. All of us will lose people we love, and yet when you're the one grieving, it often feels like you're alone. At least it has for me. I don't want to feel that way anymore. And so back to the ketchup. My mom died. She died between 10 to 15 hours after I sat and had talked with her for hours. I listed everything that I'd done for her. I was with her and I was like, mom, I did this, 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 this. She listened. I asked her if I missed anything. Is there anything else you need me to do? She said, no. She asked what time my flight was the next morning. And I told her it was early. I was planning on getting back home early afternoon to do Father's Day with the kids But after I left my mom that day, I changed my flight. I just couldn't get on the plane. I planned to go back and meet her in the morning for coffee. And I didn't tell her. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go back. Two minutes before my flight would have taken off. And a few hours before I planned to go back and meet her, I got the call that she had died. The flight home was hell. I sobbed the entire four hour and 15 minute flight. Sobbing. I came home and could not open an email. I had tried for months to sort of transition out of this company in a way that pleased everyone. All that ended when my mom died. Why spend more time trying to end this smoothly when life ended so abruptly like that? For her, for me, life can be so abrupt. And so I took that cue from my mom's abrupt exit and I ended it all. It was scary and liberating. 
my identity became less important and living in integrity became my North Star. How I feel is always going to override what my life looks like or how it compares to others. The idea of social conformity ended and I replanted myself into the universe on a quest to find my true self again. And so over the next season of the podcast, I'm going to untangle some of this. I want to share all of the things I've had to rethink over the last several years. We'll talk to some of my friends. We'll catch up with some experts. We'll have some fun answering your questions because it's always nice to hear from you. Remember, I always say my way is a way. It is not the way. And when I, you know, I say, and who am I to offer advice? No one. Do I feel worthy of sharing my point of view? Absolutely. And so I look forward to meeting you on Tuesdays or whenever you have time to listen. I hope that you'll tag me on IG or threads or Twitter with thoughts and reflections. I hope you'll drop a note in my inbox. My email is hey, H-E-Y, at mytaughtyou.com with questions you'd like for me to tackle. And of course, I have to remind you, upgrade your inbox by signing up for my weekly newsletter. It is all of the things. Until next time, thank you all.